the digital transition. Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number 28. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm having yet another candid discussion with Don Cameron. We've been thinking quite hard about this topic over the last couple of months, and I think it's timely um, that we look into the future. 2025 to be exact. And I think we should begin to predict the future. So in this episode, we'll go back to the future, BIM in 2025. But before we dive into the future, I need to talk to you about our exclusive sponsor, NBS. NBS Chorus is revolutionizing construction specification with cloud-based collaboration. Integrate seamlessly with your building model, allowing you to increase productivity and reduce risk. It enables collaborative management of all your specifications directly linked to your building model. In many ways, this tool and approach appears like it comes from the future compared to other offerings on the market. And that's probably an honest fact. So to learn more about NBS, head over to their website, www.thenbs.com.au. Now on with the show. So welcome back, Don. Thanks, Nathan. It's good to have you back, mate. I, I, I really enjoyed uh, our discussion uh, back in episode 15 and I could tell you now that we had actually a lot of listeners actually listen to it but uh, for those that have been lazy or are new to the podcast series and uh, haven't gone into the back catalogue yet obviously these guys aren't aware of who you are but you're pretty infamous but for those that are listening that aren't aware of who you are tell us a little bit about yourself. Infamous I'm a bit, a bit shocked to hear that you think I'm infamous uh, yeah Obviously, quite a few people know me from the industry, been mainly contractor side uh, and and trying to drive the um, the whole BIM DE perspective. Before that, I was you know working in the design management, engineering management space on quite a few large projects, and always had an interest in technology and the possibilities of of BIM databases, um, you know CAD and all that. So it's really for me. Being able to apply this and trying to apply the you know the whole, all these technologies in, a, in an effective way, in a systematic way that you know I, I believe will empower people and organisations to deliver you know infrastructure and uh, built assets more effectively, and and hand over them more effectively to to our, to our customers and clients. Mate, twenty twenty, it's presented itself as a year for us to remember, and probably for a lot of people also want to forget. You know, one to forget. Now, the key thing I think through this is that in the design and construction industries, it's it's challenging times, you know, and, you know, we'll probably try and touch on it a bit later about the transformation that business has made through this COVID period. But um, the other thing that I guess we can all learn from this is that there are that, you know, and it's something I actually remember talking to with Andrew Kerthois earlier in this series is that challenging times present opportunity or the greatest opportunity because you're kind of forced to do so. Mm. Now, the scary thing is, is over the last couple of weeks, we've now seen the RBA uh, further reduce interest rates down to 0.1 of a percent. And uh, it's a level that they're, they're quoting that they don't see that they're going to be increased until 2024. 
So that's yeah. pretty scary for the economy side of things. And they're a part of that kind of announcement the other day, they're also buying a further $100 billion of government debt. Now, with the economy in such a poor state, you know, we are going to need to be doing more with less. Uh, as an industry, we're going to need to be more productive because the expectations of, of clients are going to be greater or, you know, uh, margins are going to tighten once again, like they continue in this downward spiral as we see through the consulting and construction industries. You know, how can we start to begin to reduce the risk levels on projects so they become viable? Some good questions. A couple of points there that I, I enjoyed what you said, you know, in respect of, I remember an old boss saying to me many years ago when I was still quite a junior, uh, a problem is often an opportunity in disguise. So perhaps we will look back on 2020 as the year, a watershed year where a lot of the game did change. Like you're saying, there's, there's contagion in markets, there's interest rate changes, there's, you know, the, the, the impacts of the, of the epidemic, both from a health perspective and from a working perspective, I think will be very interesting to see how those play out over the next five years, but def, very definitely an opportunity in, dis, in disguise. So, so bringing some of those threads together, what you mentioned there, I think, you know, low interest rates are clearly here for a while. The advantage of that is, is from an infrastructure or development perspective, there's opportunities to invest for governments to invest and perhaps, you know, kickstart economies um, through investment in, you know, using those low interest rates to invest in infrastructure and, and, and community assets. I think what that also that will bring to the table for us and our community is, you know, how do we, how do we better service our customers to deliver those assets? You know, show the, the I think the benefits of the digital technologies that we bring to the table is that we can, we can start showing, you know, uh, model far more effectively the benefits and we can model, you know, the, the outcomes from a, not only a local scale but also a city and, and national scale. So perhaps this is the, the year that's been, you know, an analyst hor- horribleist as, as the Queen said, um, certainly far worse than her year that, that you know, that, those few years ago. But um, Perhaps it really is an opportunity in disguise to, to change the game and, and how we all look at this. There's no doubt it's going to play out uh, in a very interesting way. So we're sitting here in a scenario where, you know, today we wanted to try and talk about the future. And and I think I always look at this kind of conversation with a little bit of scepticism. And I, and I only think I have scepticism because we've been in a situation, you know, where if we were sitting in 2010, for example, where there was a lot of work done, uh, you know, from one of my previous guests, Tom Fussell. Yeah. Uh, and a decade ago here in Australia, there was some substantial progress forward in the way in which uh, we were working as an industry in terms of there was some very bleeding edge type work that was being done. Yeah. And, you know, we got a scenario right now, I guess, where we look back and we go, we kind of haven't moved forward. True. So let's look at 2025. Let's 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 imagine we're sitting here and we're sitting here uh, in November 2020 right now. I guess we could say, what would we see this place looking like in five years' time? You know, what do you th- what do you think? You know, are you gonna have you are you optimistic, Don? What are your thoughts on where we could be in five years' time? And then, I think you know we could talk about where we're where we think we could be, and where we could be if we don't do anything still. Yep. Yeah, I think if we take the positive line, it's what what 2020 has really shown us is that prior to the COVID scare, the remote working you know, had had a 
relatively low take up. There were a couple of companies, particularly software ones and, and more outward looking companies that took took up the, the challenge or, or just evolved and allowed a lot of remote working. Whereas, you know, prior to this this pandemic, I think a lot of um, organizations had completely resisted it or didn't think it would work. It's evidently proven itself to be pretty much workable uh, with the te- technology. Certainly there's been no issues from what, I, what I've observed around the traps. Uh, so good outcome there. Uh, it also means that I think I've seen there's apparently some significant efficiencies in the remote working situation where obviously some of people involved in project teams in the past had always been working remotely. You know, we had specialists, people assisting from Europe or the US or Asia helping, you know, helping with design specifics, for example, or other contributions. So this, I think, is just has probably leveled the playing field and enabled a lot more flexibility, uh, particularly people that have other, you know, personal stuff in, in their lives that, that perhaps has enabled them to get back into the workforce perhaps. So things like that, if you ex- extrapolate those trends, I just think that that's sort of crossed the mountain that, there's a watershed moment basically saying we, we've enabled remote working uh, and what else is critical to enable remote working is obviously digital technology, not just the, the teams and, and those type of collaboration platforms, but the in our arena, obviously the collaboration platforms that we all often talk about, common data environments, uh, you know, design tools, all of those tools that have certainly, without those, we would not have been able to continue working remotely on projects from, from, from our perspective. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that almost in the construction industry, apart from the times when there were substantial lockdowns where construction couldn't commence or couldn't continue because of the extreme measures they needed to put in place here in Australia, construction didn't stop. Yep. It kept going. You know, there's major projects here in Brisbane that you can see that have just continued to go floor by floor a week like they normally do with major construction here in Queensland. I like I like the optimism there, Don. I like the optimism to think that um, things could that could move forward. But you know, as both you and myself are well aware, and in having conversations with people on the other side, I often think to myself, the pandemic got them one step, and it's gotten that one step, and it it made them fighting, kicking, and screaming. I remember having conversations many years ago with uh, people that I was involved with about the concept of using video conferencing and using video conferencing for meetings. Yep. And it was kicking and screaming then saying, you know, no, we have to meet face-to-face. We have to meet face-to-face. It's just what you do. Yep. And the pandemic kicks in and automatically, uh, you know, video conferencing, it's fine. It's done. Oh, we're all happy with that, you know. And, you know, there are some uh, activities that people do on video conferencing that still don't, I still don't agree with, you know, but from that, you know, you, you assume that the, that over time those behaviours might get ironed out. It's kind of similar to maybe the way people might have acted in boardrooms in the past. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a bit more pessimistic. You know, what, what extra catastrophe is going to need to occur in the next five years for people to take that next step? Yes, we are now starting to see the the instances of common data environments so that people can collaborate on teams, which I think, you know, not on Microsoft Teams, but in, as a team yeah. collectively dispersed across, you know, multiple sites, which I think is great. Yeah. The challenge is, is upscaling that to that next step, you know. Maybe I've got my angry hat on today. I don't know what it is, but um, 
you know, I think I think it stems a lot from, you know, within my own profession as the architect. Yes. And, you know, the key areas right now that I know that uh, our profession are really f- fixed on yep. is, you know, I almost liken it to pop culture, that sustainability. Uh-huh. And But mind you, uh, I, I've, you know, I find sustainability is a very important point. Uh, because I believe, and I don't know the exact figures, which I should do my research before we do these sorts of things, but I believe the world population is now at a level that is past the tipping point of actually the planet being sustainable for resources. Okay. So therefore, we actually have to be clever with that, don't we? If As the design professionals responsible for designing buildings, that is an important point. Yep. When I talk to key leaders within the architectural profession in terms of people within leadership positions of industry bodies, the level of importance they place on digital is very, very low. Yep. What's the irony, Don, in that? Well, it is very surprising to me because, like, like you say, I think often the problem with the sustainability bandwagon is that it's it's treated as a, a bit of a pop thing, like you're saying. It's, it's never real sustainability. It's often just you know, window dressing or it's focused on, it's like the plastic bags example for me. Like, you know, everyone's going on about that. And I think it's obviously a great initiative. But in, in reality, what most people don't know is that those very thin polyethylene bags are actually quite effective in terms of what they, the job that they do for all of us, preserving food and, and all of that sort of stuff. And the only issue is when they're not disposed of correctly. But the big focus on on everyone on, on sustainability would be pollution. At, whereas they don't think about the big picture. And I think this is this is points back to your other point. It's about the data. The only way we're going to be able to convince people about the longer term future of the planet is having the data and help, helping people understand by using that data where, what real sustainability looks like. It's sustainability of the human race. It's about building better societies, making them more effective because – now, to try and draw that back into a, to a point, you look at at the moment what we've got is a city in most Western countries, particularly the new world, where the cities are office space that is pretty much vacant during the eve nights and the suburbs are where the people are and then everyone gets in their vehicles and, and public transport and, and migrates back to the city for eight to nine to ten hours a day and then disperses back to the suburbs. So you've got this completely... Longer term, I'd have to say, pretty unsustainable model, uh, and I think what you're going to see is the the outputs from this COVID epidemic are going to change some of that quite significantly. It may be only short term, but I think ultimately, long term, once people get more comfortable saying, "Hang on a second, I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable sitting here working remotely in Noosa, uh, and I've got everything that I need. Um, why would I need to catch a plane or drive somewhere or catch a train somewhere?" I I honestly think that. The biggest problem we have with this because you and I can see the benefits of this and and I know that the numerous people that we associate with at industry meetings, industry conferences, all the leaders in industry are sitting there and 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 sharing their knowledge and and they all believe in it. You know, and it's not like and in all honesty, I don't think it's like a snail a, a, a snake oil sales type pitch. Yep. This actually drives benefits. For people that actually don't understand, BIM and digital processes provide greater accessibility to information to determine the sustainability of a built asset than anything else. Correct. It's all that data that can be attached to elements in models and then analysed by computers to tell you 
whether or not the facility design is actually sustainable at the start. Yeah. And then I'm going to say an evil word, Don, a digital twin. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite, my favourite, <laughs> my favourite thing. But and I haven't, I still haven't designed a digital twin T-shirt. I'll have to get there one day when we get back to face-to-face Two conferences. Them, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, twins can come in all shapes and forms. But but the key thing from my perspective is is that I think we're packaging this wrong. You know, the digital twins then have the sensors in the building either attached to circuits to register how much energy the building's actually using, yeah. identifying things. That can tell you how sustainable that building is. Yep. But I think if I drew a conclusion and, and, and it could kind of almost end the whole podcast in one sentence, basically I think the people selling BIM mm. are wrong, the wrong people. Ah. Or maybe the packaging's wrong. Well, I think the problem is it's evolved from a technical thing, right? And naturally a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of codification, a lot of acronyms and, and a lot of people really just don't understand it, right? It takes uh, several goes often to get them to understand the basic concepts of it. Um, and then, But then for them to transpose that on a, on a bigger picture piece, like you're saying, I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's challenging, no question. And, and so at the moment, all the selling's happening to the, the people on the tools and, and, and middle management, arguably, it hasn't penetrated the, the upper levels of, of, of leadership, you know, which well, is often the case. I mean, I guess, you know, parliaments what 80 something plus percent lawyers. And interestingly, from my understanding of the legal profession, they haven't been very uh, adept at migrating to digital platforms in, in many ways. You know, I, I was quite shocked to, to, to understand it's very traditional the way that they operate. And there may be, may be very good reasons for that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's time for us to do more research before we chat, Don. But, <laughs> but, now I've lost my train of thought. Don't let, let facts spoil a good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but that I think that that drives my point, though. I think that for, for for many years I've been sitting in a boardroom trying to explain to other people, you know, my business partners that are lay to this whole technology front. Mm-hmm. So I personally had to try and change my language to try and explain it and how it all works and the benefits, you know. And I actually don't think I was successful in the end, you know. Uh, Taking another step again, we sit here today and we spend time talking to, you know, representatives, stakeholders from asset owners and I still think the same thing happens. I still think that the message is wrong. I think we are going about it still in the wrong way. I think we're still, as much as we're trying to change the language from being too technical to try and understand people's problems, I still think that that needs to be different. You know, what what is it that makes people buy an iPhone. Yeah. You know, they the iPhone is a powerful little computer, you know, but we took it, we take it as a thing of, well, all it is is a camera with all the extras attached to it because everyone loves taking photos these days. It's the thing that it's a, it's a camera with a phone attached to it and, yep. and vice versa. But one of the things I've been thinking about and toying about in my head is one, I remember hearing a presentation back in 2008 18 it might have been, 2018 over at uh, the Built Academy in uh, Slovenia. Yes. There was this great presentation done by a gentleman whose name eludes me and it's very frustrating. But the one thing that's rung true to me since that presentation 
was his reminder that we actually have to realise that architects, designers, builders were actually just in the real estate business. Yeah. So we sit here and we're in a scenario where, you know, we go, this is, this is a built asset and all that matters at the end of the day is what that value of that built asset drives to the owner of that building. We have all these very ideas about, you know, these models that we have or these databases. Yep. But until it's almost like when we're talking to these asset owners, we're actually not, we're not there selling, the, selling this information well enough, whereas a real estate agent can walk into a, into a property. It could be a dog of a property. Yep. But he'll walk in and he'll find the key things that he can then pick and sell from. And maybe that's where we're all falling over. Maybe we're not good enough. We're, maybe we've got to find a new term. Maybe that could be our new term for 2025, the uh, digital um, estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I look, I think it's interesting, the exact points that you make. It, it is, it's evolved out of a technical thing um, and it's like a technical solution almost looking for a home. And we all know that it, it, it's got homes everywhere, but, but I think you're right, the language that we need to... We need to trans, you know, translate it for the various the various customers, to you know, to, to make it understandable and palatable. But I think a good point that you make there about it, it, we are all in the we're in the built environment. We're in the you know real estate business in that developers develop properties for pension funds, you know, superannuation funds, or just you know, but it's a fundamental keystone of of the Western um, capitalist system, right? It's really a significant play if you look at the numbers and everything. And the other thing we keep seeing is this: the growth globally of how many residences need to be built by the next in the next five to ten years. What's really interesting is how's COVID going to impact that, right? What are those residences or housing going to look like? Uh, what's the city's going to look like? What's office space going to look like? Is that going to is a significant yours and my and everyone's money tied up in built assets around the world? And what's it going to look like? So, you know, even if it's just repurposing some of those assets, I guess the key thing for me is that maybe you're right. The focus needs to be on getting people to understand. And often the only way they understand things is by showing them how it's done, right? So it's it's going to be very interesting, I think, the next five years. Uh, I think there's no question in my mind that this is the game-changing next five years. You know, we've, we've mastered the technology. We know that it works. People have done enough case studies, et cetera, et cetera. Now's the time to really apply it. Yeah, I, I, I sit there and I think about this COVID situation and, and you're right, you know, we all depend upon our uh, superannuation funds to, uh, you know, the superannuation funds here do a great job, I guess, in in helping in, invest in Australia. And, you know, there's CBUS, for example, that built the One William Street. Yep. We don't actually sit there and think to ourselves what, does that mean moving forward? Could that building actually still function the way it was designed? Yeah. Does the pop does the population of that building have to decrease by fifty percent? Good question. Uh, you know what does that do to rent returns? You know, yeah. it could be it could be because the buildings for some reasons could be inflexible to modification to change. It could be too rigid in their design. Yep. It's a that's a scary question you pose. But let's let's try and look, <laughs> try and find a positive out of it. And we're already seeing now 
you know, through LinkedIn feeds, there's a lot of people that are using computer automation, you know, well, it wouldn't be computer automation because you have to provide it rules, but mm. computational algorithms yep. to try and repurpose spaces and, and analyse how to lay out COVID-safe workspaces, yep. obviously all based upon, you know, estimations of, you know, distances and, you know, it's it's all estimates. You know, it's not going to be factual. That's going to save you, make you safe. Yeah, I think they're still. I mean, they're still trying to find out what the facts are, right? No one yeah. actually knows. So, but again, it doesn't matter. I think to me, that's the expertise of the, of the AC community that we're we're involved in. Is that if someone came up with those facts, we could model them, and that's we can right. we can do the same way we model escape. You know, fire egress from a building. We'll be able to start modeling how COVID. You know, if someone did have COVID and they entered the building, what it might look like, what sort of checks and what technology you might need to Im- put in place that you could track these people uh, or and lock down floors or all, the, all those kinds of things come into play. But try and do that without digital models or t- software, forget it. Yeah. Well, you know, the fifth element was on the other night. I missed it. Nothing like a bit of futurist kind of, uh, you know, movies. I always enjoy movie. I always enjoy watching those those kind of futurist movies to see how much of it's real. It kind of almost goes back to, you know, my childhood and watching the Jetsons. Yep. Uh, <laughs> none of that stuff kind of really has happened yet. But Still waiting for those robots. I mean, the closest we got is a vacuum, a Roomba vacuum cleaner. Or a lawnmower. I don't know about those. Yeah. But I think, I still think, I, I want to continue on the kind of more of a, analytical kind of path before I kind of, you know, break into my brain of kind of, you know, what could be the real positive outcome, you know, and, and I still think it comes down to the wrong packaging. I I still think it's the packaging and the, and the messaging behind it. And I think the scary thing is, is, you know, you look at the, the likes of, um, oh, the, the American, American guy that was pushing sustainability. I keep forgetting his name. Which guy was that? Oh, the crazy one. <laughs> uh, Buckminster Fuller. No. <laughs> what was that politician? The politician. Al Gore. Al Gore. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrong, no, but that's it. Century. No, but, but, <laughs> but Al Gore, right, he's out there pushing sustainability. Yep. And pushing, 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 pushing. And I, and I think it's us, it's Al Gore's message is similar to that of us in industry as leaders he knows there's a problem. Yes. We know there's a problem and we can make it better. But for some reason, his message wasn't really listened to. Well, it's the same age-old problem, isn't it? There's a long-term vision of understanding yeah. that, that people that have got the knowledge and information about, but translating that back into the impacts on some individuals and their, <clears throat> excuse me, Immediate things they can't see, or they they feel threatened. Like I've got to change the way I work, or what's happening about my job. You know, so a lot of people are actually don't have that the, the capacity for that longer term vision because they're so forced, they're so locked into just surviving, right? Keeping the job, paying the mortgage, sending the kids to school, that type of thing. So, but I think that's where what we've got to do. And it's similar to the, what you just mentioned before about the technology and BIM happening. Yeah, and how how do you spread the word? How do you get people? understand the bigger picture that's that's really what we've got to do understand the bigger picture get everyone on, on board and I, and I think that's why this this crisis is actually the perfect opportunities because we can I think for a long time humans have been just following with technology right 
we've been, you know, we've had the Luddites, we've had the people wrecking the the, the mills, the wool, wool mills, Lancashire and stuff like that, you know, because they felt threatened. Exact similar situation, right? Longer term, great benefit to everyone. Machinery, ultimately, all that. But but I think the kind of technology we're talking about today offers us that really you know, powerful opportunity for human society to work out where do we want to go and we could actually start modelling and mapping that sort of thing today using the kind of tools that we know about. You know. And I think the opportunity of the COVID crisis could very well be as a time to take stock and map out, you know, because it is linked into real estate. It's linked into those longer plays, superannuation, those kinds of things. Well, a lot of people would have seen their uh, superannuation statement come through maybe back in September, I think it comes out for their financial year. Even my uh, superannuation that's been performing reasonably well uh, consistently over the last decade yes. took a hit, a reasonably good hit. Yep. And I'm wondering whether or not that's enough for people. You know, what and – and I guess the thing is, is and, and I'm, I'm going to guess I'll get to my kind of point eventually, but when we sit here, it took COVID to change people's minds about all the things we've been talking about for many years yep. about the ability to remotely work, uh, be able to be up. The technology is there for video conferencing so you can actually meet with people. Yes, we still kind of talk over each other a little bit, but it's getting better. Yep. There's the ability to connect. You know, emails is a, is a very good and bad thing. Yep. It's, it means people work, don't stop working, which is a problem to their health. One of the things that I often thought to myself you know, that was a really, really uh, big opportunity with this whole uh, work from home pandemic was flexibility in hours that people work. Yep. There's still organisations I know that still expected their staff that were in, you know, employed as a full-time employee to do their work between nine to five. Okay. Whereas, you know, and we're all well and truly aware that people fire at different hours of the day. Yep. So their ability to do certain high high energy work is different depending upon who you are. Yep. So imagine a scenario where you had an environment where, you know, it was a task-based environment, you know, task-based performance-based environment. And you said to someone, well, I know this task should take a normal average person or this task has a value of X, but it needs to be delivered by the end of the week. Yep then said employee turns around and then says, well, you know what, I don't need to do this between 9 to 5. I actually work better at 6 o'clock in the morning, 4 a.m. I work better at 7 p.m. I have two children or three children and, you know, I've got to try and get them to and from school, get them to bath and bed, breakfast and stuff. 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night they work perfectly well and that task was was assumed – you know, in a normal work week where you're st- stuck in an office with all your other all your other mates, the amount of distraction hours that occur yep. is huge. That's true. So that person could potentially deliver that outcome in half the time or two-thirds of the time or, you know, a shorter period of time because they work in hours that suit them. Yep. That was another opportunity I thought that talking to peers in industry I thought was disappointing because I thought, Let's take this one extra step. Let's actually understand human dynamics and how people work and yep. and that to, to advance that next step. So I'm going to throw something out there. And this is the optimistic me. 
the optimistic side because it's it's been a while. We you know we've been chatting for a little while now, and I've been on the negative side of the fence a little bit. My view is that similar to the solar panel industry. So let's look at the solar panel industry. Yep. And what they present to people is a scenario where as an owner of your house, you can log into your solar system from your phone yep. and see how much power you're generating, right? Mm-hmm. Now I look at that and I go, for most people, whenever someone has it, everyone that has this app will always pull it out in front of you <laughs> and go, look, this is how much my power, this is how much my house is generating right now. Yep. I think the answer to this is is no longer about, you know, my vision for 2025 and it could be 2030. I don't know. We'll see how we go. <laughs> but my vision for 2025 on an optimistic route now rather than the fact that I still think yes. that we're going to be in the same position five years' time. So that's my that's my recorded position because you know we have digital twins we have smart cities there's going to be people that push off into the into the hills with that yep but as we've seen there's a lot of you know government agencies even in the UK the performance of their mandate hasn't really de- delivered the outcomes I'm assuming we would have expected in terms of the dramatic shift of industry moving be able to deliver it so it's going to take a long time here, longer even time here in Australia because we're a bit more laid back and casual about it rather than as, rather than as kind of, you know, standard following as the English are. Yep. yep. All right. Segway there, but I've I got, I got along the line. I think the actual answer is is that we have to present asset owners with solutions. Yes. Instead of actually saying to them, what is it that you need, we actually come up with solutions ourselves. We come up with apps well, and the- solutions in place and go, here is your built, here's your building, and here is the way in which you operate it. So we actually come back with the fifth element type stuff, basically, instead of saying, What is it that you need? Because people don't know. It's like a phone. What what features do you need on your Apple phone? They don't know what app. They just go, Oh, it's got those features. I'm happy with that. Yep. But if we turned around as an industry and and set up a system where like they've even got apps now. You know, it's kind of silly, but like look at Airtasker, for example. Yes. Imagine your house, and this is maybe we're going to call it our digital twin of our house, and our air conditioner breaks down. But we don't know it's broken down at the moment until we go and turn it on ourselves. Imagine our, our, our had a, we had a, you know, a smart house, and uh, that smart house then communicated to our phone that there's a problem, and then by a click of a button we could then put out to tender if yeah. we didn't have a, a preferred contractor, it sends all the details of what's wrong to the to the contractor through the push of a button and says what needs to be fixed. Then they bid on it. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe oh. maybe 2025 we're going to be app developers and uh, we're going to just provide final solutions for people that they can then buy into. Because I can see, I can tell you right now, I know a gentleman that developable is a smart homes installer and the work that they do is incredible stuff. And I can imagine that the, you know, talking, going back to hearing the work that they do, they've done at Honeywell with connecting into systems and circuits to then do preventative maintenance kind of things. You take a smart home kind of system. It's basically a BMS really. 
and then turn, turn into an app interface. Forget about telling the person, like it's almost the same. I think maybe the problem is is that as designers, in engineers, digital people that are trying to get answers out of the clients, we're still approaching it too technical. We're sitting there and talking to them about the server rack. Yes, yes. They don't care. They just want to be able to, can I plug my computer in and this software is going to run? We're going to pull it that next step. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's the development. My view is is that either A, we'll go nowhere, or B, industry will find a way to package this up in a better way for asset owners to actually, absor- you know, suck up. For example, you know, in terms of actually recognize it because the solar industry has done it. Yes. And it's just like, well, you want to know how much power you're generating? Here's an answer. Now, here in Queensland, the solar industry is huge. It's getting that big that it's causing problems at the uh, sub, at the grid level. Yep. Which is which is not a good thing either. But I still think that there's ways, and you know, I could have a, an hour discussion about how I think we could change the whole system of electricity to suit yes. a solar and a sustainable environment. You know, but we won't go there today. But I don't know. That's my kind of thoughts on it. That, that's kind of the the two sides of it. With that, yeah, I, I think the positives there, like, because and and the other key thing to note is that I know that we've a lot of us have been frustrated with our AC industry. I think the key thing is it's a complex industry. People underestimate how how complex is. A lot of players. We're not all under one under in one tent under one roof. Right, like you mentioned, you know, there is often no way to know who the end owner of the building is or who the end operator of the building is. So you don't that person doesn't exist. When the building's being designed often. So it's impossible to have those conversations. But I think that's why I think this whole COVID crisis now is, is changing that game is because no one's going to go and start doing large-scale developments on, on on spec like a lot of developers do because it's so volatile and, and, and unclear as to what it's likely. So likely more now to go, I have to make a very bespoke solution for people. They're going to have the end um, asset owner or operator or, or occupier involved in the whole process of design, which will enable all those conversations to take place. And so I'm very optimistic about us deploying technology. I think you just have to look at, like I was saying before, mobile phones and how that, the, the on-tap music, like, I mean, you know, I, I come from a time when, you know, you had to have about a thousand CDs in your collection and, you know, and, and a, you know, you're lucky if you had a, a five carousel that played five, you know, five discs at a time. Aren't you of a vinyl era? Oh, Final mate. Now let's just change the whole podcast. Or, or a six track <laughs> or an eight track. Eight track. Eight track was before my time. Vinyl, vinyl, you know, let's talk vinyl. Vinyl, vinyl's actually made a huge comeback, by the way. Uh, uh, I realise that, yes. And, it's be, I th- and I think the pandemic did it. A lot of people are going out and buying record players again. Apparently, uh, was it about two months ago, vinyl sales were beat CD sales for the first time for like 30 years or something. <laughs> Oh, we're making a come. It's all these things are making comebacks. So maybe, um, you know, <laughs> you got scenarios of of acronyms and buzzwords. They're my favourite things. You know, everyone, everyone, uh, you know, BIM has been a buzzword, and everyone wanted to be a BIM manager. You know, a decade ago. Yeah. Everyone's a digital engineer. Okay. <laughs> um, well, one of the things people think they are, but they may not be. Well, this is what really bothers me. It's like the concept that I remember, you know, when you look in uh, recruitment ads and they ask for Revit architects. Oh. And I go, no, 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 no. You're an architect. 
that is skilled in using a specific software, if that's what you are, then then that's not really what you are. To me, you need to be an engineer to start with as an engineer that has digital capabilities. Yes. It's not about being a digital engineer. And the other thing that bothers me is that we have standards in place, you know. We have standards like ISO 19650 that has specific terminology yes. about BIM management plans. And, yes, BIM might not be as meaningful on a major civil infrastructure project. I, well, I probably, I'll definitely beg to differ on that particular. No, but 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 then but the thing is, it's just an it's just a term. Yes. So let's not keep changing terminology. Okay, let's, I would agree. It's not about whether it's appropriate and named or not. Well, it might not be the best name, but it's a name. Let's stick with it instead of creating ten thousand different more. So we've got BIM management plans that are now being replaced by DEEPs. Yes. Digital engineering execution plans. The well, XPs. Well, and the X is pretty cool, mate, because X is X is always make it better. But I just think that from an acronym perspective and the marketing lingo, we've seen people use BIM and push that and use that inappropriately. We've seen digital twins being stolen by software vendors and essentially not not and not using it appropriately. I'm hoping that you know if we come up with a better way in in five years' time to explain and and demonstrate how much value and benefits this this these these digital processes have for clients, we'll see the death of the acronym and the marketing oh, yeah, patch. I think you might be living in dreamland, mate. <laughs> well, as <laughs> I said, death, that's a big pronouncement. A digital estate agent. Nathan just said he's gonna. There's no more acronyms in the in the construction and and the design industry. Like, oh. I'm willing to put some good money down there. <laughs> right, yeah, right now. Well, let's just call it a digital estate agent, mate. That's the new one. Dick. That's my new one. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I DEA. Oh, sorry, my mistake. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. Tongue. Or maybe it was just the uh, South African accent. accent. I don't know. <laughs> you just, just misunderstood my Aussie accent. But uh, I, I think to myself that the, the acronyms and the marketing buzzwords is one of the Biggest problems our industry faces. It, it, it's, it's what ruins it. But isn't it the case for all industries that there's the sort of inside knowledge and term? You know, I think the law is the same, right? Law, law is well. I mean, there's probably a really good strong background for it, but there's a lot of legal terminology uh, that that is it's like technical and yeah. it has precise meaning uh, that everyone outside you know doesn't doesn't know necessarily. Or they might know you know a few things like pro bono and those kinds of things, but I'm not sure you're going to be able to ever break away fully from that sort of insider, you know, knowledge of, <laughs> of you know, what BIM stands for. No, but, stands I th- for. but I think it's more so about how it's presented to the outside world. Like it's like computer scientists, for example, they might have their coding lingo where they might talk in, yes. uh, in a certain way about certain functions and the like. You know, you look at Excel and all the functions they have and that's, an, you know, we're talking baby programming here, people where people, you know, apply a function so that they get an outcome, you know, in the cell, in Excel. Yes. Um, you know, if you turn around and, and you move that across to the other side and we remove all the marketing lingo and just talk about the benefits and features, not using misusing terminology. I think you should do You could do that anyway, right? I think the point is yeah, some, some of the, the acronyms are just purely functional right it's it's you're having a long conversation with people you don't want to start saying the bim execution plan every time you know you just want to say you know oh, the execution plan or the the, the the pep or whatever you know so i think a lot of those acronyms have resulted in just 
making it quick and easy for someone to understand what's going on. The other thing though is is that doesn't mean though that we can't translate those and have a different terminology and a different conversation with you know external parties like you're saying, whether it be d- the digital estate agents or digital developers. That's the truth, isn't it? The digital estate agent. That's that's my new term. I know a few real estate agents. Maybe I uh, should try that on. <laughs> Get my two and a half percent. That's it. Two and a half percent. That's a good sale price, mate. You you could do pretty well with that. I think there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through to make your two and a half percent though. And that <laughs> doesn't always. It's not two and a half percent on every single property you list either. Oh no no. Well, that's a, you have you have to be the owner, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, I don't know whether we've covered off on the right track today, Don, or not, um, or whether we've gone well, around uh, and around circles. I, I don't think we've gone. I think it's been a good conversation. I think it might be worth reflecting, you know, 2020. If we sit in, we imagine we're in 2025 now and we're looking back over, did we waste the crisis that happened in 2020? As humans, uh, I suspect some of it might be wasted, but I, I generally think there's a lot of themes that are coming together, sustainability, global I think a lot of people, it was interesting that uh, the scars cleared when the planes came out of the scars and how many people noticed the smog levels drop and how much they felt better because of that. I mean, there's no question that there are less people have died because of COVID than would have normally died through, you know, air pollution, lung infections, flu, all sorts of other things, uh, vehicle accidents. So it's, it's really fascinating to see that, you know, that, Although people are dying in significant numbers, unfortunately, due to COVID, a lot of other people have have survived and lived purely because of the of the pandemic. So, I think the opportunity is to say, okay, you know, how do we embrace the, these 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 changes? We've got to change. We have to change. How do we use this crisis to change in the right direction? How do we then adopt, adapt? of the technology to build, you know, a better, I really think it's an opportunity to build the vision that we all might have had, like the Jetsons, like you mentioned. Yeah. Living, what what has really been uh, great for me to see in this whole uh, lockdown and, and pandemic is for the first time ever, I've seen people in, in droves in the suburbs, you know, almost 5, 4.30, 5 o'clock, kids are out in their push bikes, People are walking in the streets, walking dogs. A lot of more people have apparently gone and got dogs. So I, I think you'd have to say for a lot of people, the pandemic, the lockdown has actually given them a bit more free time to do a few more things that, that they would perhaps like to do, whereas the old model of the commute um, was really you know, pinching them between a rock and a hard place. Well, I think the one thing for me, the amount of travel I used to do for conferences in a year, that not traveling uh, for, for since well, it's been twelve months nearly. Yeah. Uh, that I've that I've been on a plane overseas. So from my perspective, it has been a positive in in many ways of being home with family more. But I don't know whether it's, it's the networking. Still, I have to admit, has is a better face to face thing, which I think is yeah. the one social aspect that has not been solved yet. True. True. Uh, but it has given back people to families. Now, I guess from my perspective, why, you know, as a business right now, you know, I'm trying to think more so how how can we convince, or it's not about convincing, it's more how can we put forward a proposition to businesses that now is the time to actually start thinking about these things as a response because Mm. we know that, 
if people actually were able to manage their asset data of their assets more effectively, similar to their accounting, like you imagine, you imagine how unacceptable it would be if you managed your financial data as poorly as you manage your asset data of your buildings. Yeah. Would your accountants get cranky at you? The tax department get cranky at you? Oh, for sure. I guess, you know, it's, and maybe it's just a communication thing. A lot of, you know, the, the maintainers and managers have got all that data, but it's just not visible. It's not, it's again, it's how do you build the big picture with all the data sets to understand all the assets? So it's not, again, it's not just about one asset. It's not about one building. It's about all those buildings together. It's about the city. It's about a suburb. How do we, you know, how do we understand all of that information so we can model, um, you know, public transport stuff. We can model facilities for the community. So I think that's the next that's the next step. That's the that's the potential game changer in all of this is that we now have the ability to manage that those data sets, process them, use machine learning, use AI and all those things to before, I mean a lot of the the modeling you see is very much local around, you know, a new road gets modeled and 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 I mean I know that the guys do attempt to obviously, you know, model over a more bigger scale as it were, but I certainly think that the possibility now is to use that to, to predict the future as opposed to just sort of watching it happen and try and fix it along the way and I build the road, make it wider. I think the real opportunity now is that we're at a position, a point in time where we have to because of the pandemic and, and work out how that might play out, uh, model that uh, and model what we want as, a society, as societies, you know, what do we, how do we want to live? How do we want to work? Real opportunities to 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 change everything and and make make our lives better, basically. And maybe the challenge from this, in terms of the step, and and this is one of the things I've recognised myself, you know, over the last seven years that I've been kind of pushing this concept. In you know, when I was at Fulton Trotter, yes, is that there are so many actors at play. There's so many people that are involved in the delivery or the design, the delivery and operation of, of built assets yep. that it's what, make, it's what makes it so hard for this to actually happen. Whereas you take the solar industry, it's one individual kind of company yes. delivering an outcome. So the key thing is, I guess, is for people not to be scared about being on an island for a bit you know, in terms of starting their own digital journey themselves. Yes. Because I can tell you now there are efficiencies you can gain as an organisation. If you do embrace digital technologies, there are substantial uh, benefits. You know, there's even just from a simple architectural practices standpoint, if you actually have good processes in place where you have efficient, you gain so many efficiencies and the risk risk profile drops so much because you have your conflicts in your outputs. Yeah. You know, that's just from the design perspective. Think from the contractor's perspective, you know, for the contractors that are listening, the, the, the ability for them to actually program out their works before they start or understanding the actual real scope of a project because they're only given three, four weeks to tender a project. Yeah. Yep. If you could identify your scope, you reduce the risk, you can order less material because you don't need as much waste, you know, you don't need to order that much extra because you kind of – it's cheaper to order more than be short with having, you know, labor standing on site. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think just to touch on that point, you're right. Like there's, 
not only the internal efficiencies, but I think the key thing for me is that, that by doing that and by adopting that, you're basically tapping into a, a, a global ecosystem, right? So by, by, by you following standards and by you operating digitally, you are then enabling more effective collaboration outside your organisation, you know, to tap tap into things. Uh, it's like this other examples we made, digital technology, like, you know, it's putting that plat- – someone's put that platform in place or this various versions of that platform in place. By, by, by adopting this, you're playing your part in, in, in connecting to that ecosystem and you ca- you're able to effectively collaborate now far more, you know, or you're able to f- collaborate far more effectively uh, across globally, right? Yeah. Um, and everywhere. So, but if you didn't do that, you you basically it's, it's like the sort of analogy of someone sitting in the office just you know writing reports on paper, uh, and then the, the, the challenge of that person trying to operate globally and quickly share information it's it's almost impossible, right? It's it's one of those things where I I look at and I think to myself a lot that if some of these things were embraced, imagine the difference that you could make or the opportunities it could open up. And over the last few years, I guess we have been in, we have seen, uh, you know, different asset asset owners build and develop their own systems in place, you know, with the likes of, you know, the Sydney Opera House with Chris Linning uh, being part of that team. And you could, you could clearly see that it was a, you know, it's a highly experimental phase in terms of it's been put in place and because the number of standards that are around at the time are, are lacking, you have to create your own standards. But what we've seen through the last two or three years, you know, and talking to Lars a couple of weeks ago even, you can see that the, the standards that are coming in now with naming standards, that's, mm-hmm. that's where the universal, universal efficiencies are going to start to occur to enable this to, you know, as I said before, on, you know, we create this app that uh, reports your broken down air conditioner or, you know, a fan needs fixing or your TV's on the blink or your fridge needs repairing or mm. one of these things. At the moment, if we built this app, forgetting the standards that have just been released, we'd name it however we thought. We'd have a standards, we'd have our naming standards and then when it connected to the supply chain, the supply chain it would get it differently from every single person because they'd name yeah. it differently. Whereas now with standards and more and more standards coming into place, it's making it even easier for people throughout the whole life cycle to join in on this and the efficiencies are only going to get greater because of the fact that the standards are actually making it easier for decisions to be made because you're not having to make decisions on how do I name this? What's the non-commenture on this? You know, all these little bits and pieces that were challenging for the people that were leading the way. Are now starting to become standardised, and yes, standards aren't perfect, but at least it provides a, a spot of commonality, which then efficiencies can be gained. Or, you know, there's a, there's always the conversation when you're doing architectural specifications about using Australian standards for construction, yep. and it's basically saying, well, that's the minimum standard, mm-hmm. and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having a minimum standard of how things should be applied. It's just now going, well, this sets a benchmark for industry to work from. And then you as an asset owner or as a person, an individual or a company may have specific needs that are over and above that standard. There's nothing wrong with that. Correct. 
I think it's, the main thing is it makes it useful for the next party, right? So like you're saying, I think our industry has got reasonably well-established standards across the board. Like there's definitely holes, like you, like you mentioned, there's definitely issues and there's definitely low use of some of those standards. But what we're saying is, I guess, and what we've probably seen in some of those, you know, both you and I were judges on the, the Building Smart International Awards there, some of those uh, those projects that were submitted, we saw some very good use of those standards, particularly from some of the European entries uh, yes. and, and the benefits that flowed from there. We uh, and, and again, it points back to this app model, like you're saying, without that interoperability, uh, you know, you're just basically cutting off opportunities for collaboration or extending sustainability or those kinds of things. Well, there, yeah. I don't even want to touch on sustainability of file formats. That's a whole different thing. IFC, I think. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's your Building Smart Australasia director's hat on, isn't it? <laughs> yes. But I don't know. Have we covered off on everything, Don? I, I, I keep asking myself this question because I – no, when we started on this journey, we've started on it without any kind of real run sheet or thought of how we go about it. But I think we have. Or, or the, from my perspective, I guess the whole purpose of this discussion today was probably more about opening up people's minds to thinking about what they've gone through this year. Yep. And thinking about or opening their mind up to actually thinking about actually starting this journey because I think that that's the problem we're facing right now. Yes. And hopefully getting people to be a little bit strategic about themselves and their own organisation to envisage where their company may be in five years' time. Yes, very good point. Because I'm not going to be a negative Nancy, but if in the future, and the future date might not be five years, it might be 10, 15, 20 practices that don't actually adopt and follow these follow these ideals will probably find themselves either with assets that uh, you know people don't want to buy because at the moment it's the, the interesting thing and I guess this is me going on another tangent and keep going around and around circles but in the last decade you've seen the energy companies mm-hmm. change from being the the biggest companies in the world in terms of the highest level of financial value Mm -hmm. and it's changing over now where data companies that have heaps and heaps and heaps of data are are far more valuable than 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 the petrochemicals the coal the mining all those guys that are extractive industries absolutely so the stock market sees the value in information the turning point for me will be the day that the real estate industry the real estate market the asset owners actually can see and recognise the value of information and how they can how that's actually valued as a commodity in selling an asset. Yeah, interesting points. I think um, just to to rewind, and I think the the point of today's conversation is just to provoke yeah. promote conversation. So I think maybe that's the the real thing is to all the listeners out there. You know, what are your thoughts? Interact and and respond to Nathan's podcast because uh, all we want to do is promote that conversation, what everyone else thinks. I think going back to your point about real estate, I, you know, the metrics that, that that the way properties are valued and their value and the yields and all those kinds of things, I know that, you know, developers and property owners have quite sophisticated models. Yeah. But what I'm seeing, what I'm anticipating that COVID might do is like we were saying earlier, that may very well be, they're going to have to go to the next level now. 
that that future people that are acquiring assets, there's no question, for example, one of the things that has come in is this whole sustainability piece that people are now saying, you need to prove to me your your green star rating of your office, you know, your sustainability of, of the of the built um, assets. So as that's come in, I suspect what we're going to see is this next level of detail, the next level of data information. And, and that's pretty much what we're talking about. Right? How do we bring it all together? How do we collaborate over that data? How do we front end um, plan the future infrastructure, the future built environment? I think I think that's a good point to end on, Don. I don't think I'll I'll add any more. But mate, it's been good to have you over uh, to have a chat again in the in the makeshift two person studio. I, with all of the work being uh, you know always remotely with interviews over the last uh, twelve months, it's it's been hard to uh, justify having a two person studio. Uh, in my house, I don't think the wife would enjoy it. But I got the the last question for you. <laughs> the okay. question I asked you about twelve months ago, and one I'm going to have to go back and check to see how much it's changed, because I because it's interesting. You know, every every day I think we learn more, and we we kind of our, our views on the world changes um, because of all these new information that we pick up. But what does BIM mean to you? Oh, that old, that old chestnut. <laughs> it's not a it laugh. Means, it, it means collaboration. It's collaboration. That's it. As long as I'm, I'm, you know, I know I've heard plenty of people tell me, yeah, you know, it should be called this or it should be called that. And it, it's a process. It's not a thing. It's a process. I'm like, I don't, it's all about collaboration. It, it, it obviously is sharing information in a format that everyone else can recognize and interact with effectively. Um, to, to, to extend their, for the use purposes that they need it for and to help you on your journey and your uses. So I don't know. It would be interesting to look reflect back if, if I had the same answer what, 12 months ago. I'm going to guess it's going to be better information management. That's kind of what I'm going to guess at. Oh, okay. but, uh, but, I, but I do believe collaboration is a, uh, is a strong point, I think. Um, I'm not going to even start. I'll, I'll keep going around in circles. But... And we'll talk for another hour. But, um, Don, thanks for your time, mate. Greatly appreciate having you here to have our chat. I hope the uh, audience enjoyed having Don on again. Uh, our candid interviews are probably, you know, a little bit more laid back and, and, and fun compared to the other conversations that I have uh, with our other industry experts across the globe. But as Don said, I think it'd be good. I didn't actually get any feedback from our last year's one in any in any of the social media trends, considering I was expecting people to say, "Yes, let's have a naming standard or a naming convention," it didn't happen. Yeah, hence my uh, hence my pessimism about uh, industry changing in five years. No one's changed in the last twelve months since we talked about naming strategies. So once again, Don, thanks very much, mate, for coming over and having this chat. Um, I don't think we're actually going to have anything on our website today that we talked about because we talked a lot about RBAs and all those other fun, exciting stuff, which I know, I'm sure that a lot of people can uh, research on their own. But if you want to learn more about Don, his link's on my website and you can pick up all of the information on him as well. Uh, but I look forward to sharing our podcast in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. For more information or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts.
digital transition.